Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, welcome again to Valley Brook. Those of you here in the house as well as those of you online, we're glad you're here and we uh, hope that you'll continue to come back. Um, 52 years ago, next month, Jim Lovell spoke these now famous words. Houston, we have a problem. It was the Apollo 13 mission. And they were scheduled to land on the moon, but uh, they were reporting that something had gone wrong. The, The problem was discovered when they heard a dull bang inside of the spacecraft. And the next tense minutes, they worked to try to discover what it was. And eventually what they discovered was that their spaceship was leaking crucial oxygen supplies out into space. Oxygen that the crew needed to breathe, oxygen that the spacecraft's fuel cells needed to generate power. So realizing that they needed to do whatever it would take to get the crew back to Earth became the primary mission. Uh, They abandoned the moon landing and they set to work on how to get those astronauts home before the oxygen ran out. Now, the the crisis happened 55 minutes into the mission, but with everyone both on Earth and in the spacecraft working to find the answer to the problem, they were able to leave the moon's orbit and travel back to Earth and splash down in the Pacific Ocean just 88 hours later with everyone alive and well. Now, the reality is, is we all face problems in life. We all come up against times in life, and and hopefully they're never that life-threatening. But today, we're going to look at several chapters. We're going to look at them in brevity from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look because there is a problem that the author of Hebrews reveals. So let's talk about the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is that God's people have not remained faithful to God. So think this through. God created humanity. God loves humanity. And when he saw that they would not remain faithful to him, he set out to create a covenant with them, a a mutual promise. Now, think about it this way. You know, a covenant then and and today is is a lot like a marriage. When two people get married, they stand before a congregation and they make promises to one another. They enter into an agreement. It's like a contract. They also exchange signs of that agreement, rings which they wear for the rest of their lives as they remind, which they use to remind themselves of the promises that they've made. What they're doing is entering into a covenant. A covenant simply is an arrangement in which two parties make vows to one another and exchange symbols associated with those promises. People can make covenants with one another, but God also enters into covenants with us. So it's like God is getting married. Back when the old covenant was created, the 
God was the groom, Israel was his bride, and promises were exchanged, vows were made, signs of that covenant were given, but then God's bride ran off with other gods. The Israelites did not keep their promises, but God did not end it there. He said, I'm going to pursue my bride, my people, and do whatever it takes. And he promised to make a new covenant. Now, you may be familiar with that promise. Uh, in fact, God is, uh, gives that promise to the prophet Jeremiah, and the author of Hebrews goes back and, and quotes it here. So let me read it. This is the, what we read from the prophecy of Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then God concludes this and he says, they will all know me and I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So think this through. God created humanity. He desires to be in a relationship with all of humanity, but time and time again, scriptures tell us that humanity turns their back on God. We see that initially in the Garden of Eden with, with uh, the first people that God created. And then five chapters later in the book of Genesis, we read about humanity again turning against God. And and God searches for someone who's faithful, and he finds a man named Noah. And he decides that he will save Noah and his family, but he'll have a do-over. And so he sends a flood, a flood to destroy everything and, and start over again. And so after the flood, uh, people initially follow God, but eventually they turn away from God again to false gods and to idols. So God calls a man named Abraham, he calls Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he has them come to what would be uh, the Middle East, and he makes a covenant, and they create, uh, they, he makes a covenant with them to, for them to create a huge family. Now, this was a big deal because they were older in age, and they hadn't been able to have children, and their family becomes God's chosen people, the people of Israel eventually, and God says he will be their God. And they will be his people. Now, we know the history of Israel. Eventually, they are taken into captivity. They're made slaves of Egypt. And God calls Moses to lead them out of Egypt and deliver them from slavery. And then, as they are in the wilderness, God makes the first covenant with them. And that covenant is his promise to take care of them. And he asks them to stay faithful to him and he gives them their part of the covenant, which is the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not going to go through all the Ten Commandments, but if you remember, the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments are all about being faithful to God, to not have any gods before God, to not make any idols, to not take his name in vain, to, to honor the Sabbath that God has given as a day of rest for us 
And then the rest of those commandments deal with how we relate with people. That was the part of the covenant that he gave to us. And his commitment to us was to be faithful to us, to love us, and to not hold our sins against us. Now, the people who received the letter of Hebrews would have known all of this, and they would have remembered all of this, and they would know also that that covenant was not working amongst God's people, that, that God's chosen people were being unfaithful to him. They were cheating on him with lesser gods and idols. Now, a quick read through the prophets of the Old Testament will see that the language that, that God uses time and time again is about them committing adultery, spiritually adultery, cheating on their relationship with God. Now, whether they owned their unfaithfulness or not, the people of Israel understood that this was God's charge against them. So a new covenant was needed. As the author of Hebrews says, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And then he quotes what God said through the prophet Jeremiah, and he said uh, that, that would be, this covenant would be on their minds and their hearts, as I read earlier. But for this to happen, there would have to be a heart change for the people of Israel. They would have to own their unfaithfulness, and they would have to repent and seek forgiveness. The, the evidence of that would be both external and internal. The external evidence would be that they would actually follow the prescribed law that God had given them for this covenant. The book of the law explained what they were supposed to do to receive forgiveness for their sins. And under the old covenant, a sacrifice was demanded, a blood sacrifice, a pure and healthy animal would be taken to the temple and its life would be cut short. Because we see this in the, in the book of the law, from the book of Leviticus. It says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In other words, you receive forgiveness by sacrificing that animal to pay for your sins. That's what the old covenant set up. So think this through. A person would have to go to the temple. They would bring an animal to sacrifice, to pay for their sins, to be forgiven. Because sin against God required punishment, capital punishment. So an animal's life was exchanged for a guilty person's life. As the author of Hebrews said, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So to pay for one's sins, the death penalty was in play. But obviously God didn't want for his chosen people to die. So he created this system for allowing an animal, a perfect, healthy animal, to be substituted for the life of a sinful person. The payment for sins was an external act that should have also been accompanied by an internal act of contrition, of repentance, 
of remorse, of wanting to start over. But it became easy, way too easy, to, to go through the emotions. The, the external things that one could do for this would be simple. You know, you could take an animal to the temple and allow it to be sacrificed. You could do, go through the, the motions of the external acts without anything happening internally. So the first covenant didn't work. And that's what the problem was that the author of Hebrews is talking all about. And God saw that problem. And God had the answer. Not an answer, but the answer. And this is the place where Jesus comes in. Now, under the old covenant, God established the priesthood. And it was the job of the priest to mediate the covenant. So to mediate means to intervene between two parties to bring about reconciliation between them. That's what the job of the priest were to do. They ran the sacrificial system at the temple and that's where they mediated between sinful humans and an unsinful God. So when people sinned and particularly worshiped other gods, that broke their relationship with God. But bringing an animal to the temple so that the priest could sacrifice it on their behalf was mediating that person's relationship with God so that they could receive forgiveness and reconciliation. In effect, this was looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, blood sacrifice, that Jesus would offer for all of humanity on the cross. Now, in prior chapters of the book of Hebrews, the author tells his readers that Jesus is perfect and that he is the final high priest. And it, he tells us this for this reason. He has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he, meaning Jesus, is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on the better promises. So this is anticipating and explaining this new covenant that Jesus brought. So Jesus is the answer because he is both the perfect and final high priest. And he is also the perfect and final blood sacrifice that needed to be made. So to understand why Jesus is the perfect and final high priest, you need to understand the role of the high priest. Now, in Israel, while priests went, uh, people went to the temple regularly to offer sacrifices, it was the rank and file priest who helped with all of those sacrificial activities. But there was a high priest, the one who had uh, the highest position of all the priests. And the high priest was the one who had the authority to enter in to the holiest place of the temple, the most inner room called, called the Holy of Holies. This inner sanctum was the place where the presence of God resided. And if you were allowed to go in there, you would see it would contain the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a, a, a golden box. And inside that box, it contained the uh, stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. It contained a golden jar of manna from when the people wandered in the desert. It also contained Aaron's rod. And it was covered all in gold. And the cherubim would reside above it. 
and ornate gold, but it was symbolic. This is where the presence of God would be. And it was sacred and it was holy. And once a year, and only once a year, one person would go into the Holy of Holies, and that would be the high priest. He would enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. If you have Jewish friends, that Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest would bring with him the blood of perfect, healthy animals that had been sacrificed, and he would sprinkle that blood over the Ark of the Covenant, recognizing that those animals had shed their blood to atone, to pay for the sins of the people of Israel, to atone for what they had done against God. Now, Jesus becomes the perfect and final high priest because the author of Hebrews writes, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences internally from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So we get this picture of, of Jesus, the ultimate, the final high priest who goes into the holy holies one final time for now and for all eternity. And he becomes the final perfect sacrifice now and forever for all of humanity. Instead of an animal's life being offered and sacrificed, Jesus offered his own life his own blood to pay for the sins of the people. As the scripture says, he is what uh, was a perfect sacrifice, meaning a sacrifice without blemish. So what does that mean? Well, in the case of Jesus, what he specifically is saying is that Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. In fact, earlier in the book of Hebrews, the author says this about Jesus. It says, he was tempted in every way that we are but he did not sin. He was perfect. But there's something else about Jesus that is important because he mediates the new covenant. Uh, remember, when our sins are forgiven by God, that means we've been made holy. That means uh, pure and righteous. So the author of Hebrews tells his Jewish audience something that would be both startling and refreshing to them. He says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So think this through. You know, you know on, on a shallow level, that means no more buying of animals, no more messy and distasteful sacrifices at the temple. But the ultimate meaning the deeper meaning is that Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for our sins now and forever, once and for all. Jesus is God's answer for our problem. And the author of Hebrews wanted his Jewish audience to understand that. And to drive that home, he writes this. Under the old covenant, 
The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. Basically, he's saying that Jesus did this once and for all. And when he sat down at God's right hand, that's equating him as having the same authority of God the Father. Now, let me pause for a moment and, uh, and address a question that maybe you've had. And it probably goes something like this. You know, the old covenant was for Israel and people who were Jewish, but I'm not Jewish, so how does this apply to me? Well, throughout the New Testament, we read and see that through Jesus, the good news about having a relationship with God was for all people, both Jewish and Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So for Jewish and non-Jewish people, the Apostle Paul says time and time again that God appointed him to take the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. So while the author of the book of Hebrews is speaking specifically to a Jewish people, and while the old covenant was made with Israel through Jesus, we understand that the old covenant applied to all people, and obviously now the new covenant does also. So we've seen that both the old covenant, but the problem with the old covenant, and we've seen that Jesus was the answer and he brought in the new covenant. But let's look at this. Let's look at the results of what Jesus did for us. What was, what was it in the new covenant that brings to us so many things? Well, the first thing it brings to us is forgiveness for our sins. That's the most important thing. We are given forgiveness. So remember earlier, we read this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Jesus shed his blood for us. He became the final and the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins. We receive that forgiveness by sincerely repenting and asking for it. The Bible tells us this. If we confess our sins... He is faithful. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So to receive forgiveness, we need to confess our sins to God and, and trust that through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross that we have been forgiven and purified. So we need to accept that forgiveness. And we need to ask for forgiveness on a regular basis. So not only did he bring us forgiveness through this new covenant, the new covenant also gives us an eternal inheritance. The author of Hebrews writes, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And then he goes into an analogy. And the analogy is about a will. A will that you may read at the death of a loved one as they tell you what is going to be the disposition of their estate. So uh, he goes into this analogy because well, you know, wills are used to tell you about an inheritance. 
But here's the thing about a will. A will doesn't take effect until a person has died. So death is the pathway to the inheritance. And in this case, the death of Jesus is the pathway into the eternal inheritance that is offered to all who would believe in him. Dr. Michael Kruger has written this. At its core, the inheritance won by Jesus involves the forgiveness of sins. The transgressions committed under the first covenant could never be cleansed by the sacrifices of animals, but they could be cleansed by Jesus' death. No doubt this inheritance implies other benefits that flow naturally from our forgiveness. That would include our our future resurrection, being raised from the dead and given a resurrected body. And, And with that body, we will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. But the greatest part of that inheritance, he writes, is Jesus himself. He is our great reward. Thanks to the new covenant mediated through Jesus, if you have genuinely placed your faith in Jesus, which is demonstrated by following him and following his teachings, then you've received that inheritance. But there's one more thing we receive. We receive immediate access to God. As the author of Hebrews closes out this three-chapter section uh, about the new covenant, that Jesus mediates this new covenant, he reminds us of the immediate access we now have to God. And this is what he writes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So this reinforces to us that what Jesus did gives us direct access to God. He has gone into the Holy of Holies and made a way for us to go into the Holy of Holies. He has separated the curtain and given us access into the place where no one could go under the old covenant. But now through faith in Jesus, we have direct access to God. We don't need an mediary. We don't need someone to go and talk to God on our behalf. We don't need anything to separate us from God. We can go to him. We have direct access to him. That's the power of what Jesus has done for us. He took took care of that and we can go to him whenever and wherever we are. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward as I bring this to a close, but here's what I want us to think about. So what do you do with this knowledge? I mean, all three of these chapters, is just, it's just chocked full of knowledge about Jesus, our high priest, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. What do we do with that information? In fact, I think about the Hebrews that received this letter. What did they do with this information? Because it really sort of raises a problem. And the problem is this. The Hebrews had too much knowledge and too little application. And sometimes so do we. We have too much knowledge because we're not applying what we know. 
You and I have direct access to God through this new covenant that Jesus made through us, made for us through his death and resurrection, through his sacrifice for us. But are we applying what we know? Are we living in that truth and walking in that power? That's what we have to ask ourselves. We know what God has done, but we're not fully devoted followers. We're going through the motions. That's what the, what the writer of, of Hebrews is saying to the people. You know, you're just going through the motions like you did with the old covenant by wanting to go back. That's what they want to do. They want to go back to Judaism and the old covenant. So you're just going through the motions. That can happen to us too. God put his laws in our minds and our hearts because he is our God. But are we his people? Are we walking by faith and applying what we've learned? God made a new covenant with us through Jesus. And we need to live in that new covenant each and every day. So I would encourage you, you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Live it out. If you're saying, well, Clark, I, I need a little more insight, then let me know. Let me know. We will give you that information that you need. I want to close in a time of prayer. And, and with that prayer, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, if you need to confess to God that you've just been going through the motions then I want you to do that. If you've heard this message to say, you know what, I've really not made a commitment to Jesus and I wanna do that today, I will actually lead you in a prayer and then I'll close this entire prayer time. So let's just start off this way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? So God, as we hear your word, as we see what the author of Hebrews was saying to his audience and we recognize he's saying it to us, don't go through the motions. Don't just live by the externals, but really walk in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Lord, we confess. We confess that we haven't done that. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. And we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to live in us each, way to, each day to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And Lord, I recognize there may be someone hearing this message today who's really never made a commitment to you. And so if that is you, just pray these words back to God, just silently where you are. Dear God, I do believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again from the grave. And I want to follow him and his teaching. And I make that commitment today. And so, Lord, we thank you for everyone who prayed that prayer. We ask that you would take each one of us deeper in our relationship with you, that we won't just look for Bible knowledge, but we will look to apply what we know and what we learn each and every day because we want to be fully devoted followers. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.